0: But uh, uh, if you're with us for the first time or you haven't been around for a while, um, not a lot of yucks today. This is pretty serious stuff. If you're a guest, uh, I would say to you, God has you here by divine empo- appointment. This is the second um, part of a two-part discussion, really, on Christmas via Easter. <laughs> and what started this was Second John chapter 3, verse 8. John writes this, The Son of God appeared for this purpose. So why was Jesus born? For this purpose, okay. that he might destroy the works of the devil. When we talk about the works of the devil, we're talking about rebellion and sin. Ultimately, we're talking about the victory of sin and the bondage that humans are in as a result of sin. And God comes through his son, Jesus Christ, and he destroys the work of the devil. Here's the Christmas story, or just part of it. Let me read it to you. And many of your churches, you'll hear this read in the next... Uh, in fact, they may read it every time you go to church a um, little Christmas humor there. You never know, you know. We had a guy, there was a guy, there was a guy who came, he honestly, he came only at Easter and, and he's walking out one day and he's talking to his wife who brought him and he said, I would never go here. And she said, why? And he said, because they talk about the same thing every time I'm here. Well, and that's a and that true story. So, So this may be familiar to you. Now this is the birth of, of Jesus Christ, it's uh, Matthew 1, 18. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. In other words, Mary and Joseph are engaged, they have not yet come together physically, Mary's pregnant, and, and she is a, a virgin who is pregnant with, the, uh, with the, uh, the Lord Jesus, Father being the Holy Spirit. Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, Desired to put her away secretly, didn't want to embarrass her, so he's going to break this engagement off. He's going to do it in secret. As he's considering this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So Joseph's thinking like any guy. He's thinking, well, you know, what kind of girl are you? And, And the angel's saying, she's a terrific gal. This is the result of the Holy Spirit. It's got nothing to do with another guy. And he goes on to say this she'll bear a son, she's going to have a boy, and you'll call him Jesus, that's going to be his name, why? For it is he who will save his people from their sin. So John says, the purpose that, that for Jesus in coming to this world was to destroy the works of the devil, the angel tells Joseph, he, Jesus, will save his people from their sin. That's the purpose. That's why Jesus was born. That was his goal. That was his purpose. But But let's stop a second, because then Look at this, it's decoration. Did you, by the way, drop your gift off under the Tom Schrader Christmas tree when you came in there? I noticed that. Pile seems a little light. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, so you have a goal. I'm just not there today. You have a goal. At, at like You're sitting now, you're looking at the year. So you had five goals this year. You're sitting, you go, well, I did that, I did that, I didn't quite get there, didn't do this, didn't do this. You can have a goal or a purpose and not necessarily achieve it. So we can say that that the purpose of Jesus being born was to destroy the works of the devil. We can say that he came to save his people from their sin. The issue is, did he do it? And what we're trying to do is to say, yes, yes, he did. And the evidence that his mission was successful is seen not in Christmas, but in Easter. Uh, uh, We have Good Friday, where Christ died, and Easter, where Jesus rised. So we've been looking, and we could spend literally 8, 9, 10 weeks on 1 Corinthians 15, but we're going to really go quickly today, but I just I want to hit three or four points, and I think they all relate to Christmas, to you, to me, to Christ, and to salvation, and they also talk a little bit about heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's writing, and he gives us the gospel in a nutshell, verse 3, Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, he was buried, and he rose on the third day, according to the scripture. And then Paul lists these, these witnesses to, to the risen Christ. They had seen him, and he says, if you doubt that, go and talk to him." He said, they're still alive. And then Paul spends the balance, beginning in verse 12 through the rest of this chapter, talking about the resurrection, and, and talking also, or answering also, a question. Look at verse 12. It says this, if Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, how is it that some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead. Now, you need a little history. We're not sure, it's hard to date, uh, the writing of the book of Galatians. There's two schools of thought. One place it at about 49 AD, the other place it at about 55, 56. So, remove that for now from the discussion. The first books that, G- that uh, Paul wrote were 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Those are chronological, okay? The earliest books. In both his letter to the church at Thessalonica and to the church of Corinth, he addresses this issue. Some people were saying, what about us? In other words, they believed Jesus rose from the dead. Got there. Otherwise, they couldn't be Christians. That's fundamental. If you don't believe in the literal resurrection of Christ, you're not a Christian. Okay? So that's fundamental to that. What they were struggling with is, what about them? What happens to us when we die? That's what they want to know. Where do we go? What happens to us? And, and I, I made a list, just, just me thinking, of possibilities. Here's the first one, and, it, and it's becoming a, a little more popular, and that is it's just over. It's extinction. Uh, you're just here, and then you're gone, and that's it. I was at uh, the bookstore this morning, and um, Esquire magazine has out uh, their meaning of life. They, this is the second year uh, that they've done this, the meaning of life. They talk to people. It's not as good as Life Magazine used to do it, but they talked to different people, and they, they talked to De Niro, and they talked to Ted Kennedy, and they talked to Heather Locklear, and they talked to the San Diego Chicken. <laughs> but one of the guys they talked to is a guy I think is Chuck Barris. I love Chuck Barris. What a, what a nut, and um, what a slime. And, uh, and, 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 and Barris said this, and, I, and this is not a direct quote, but you're going to get pretty close there. He said, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in hell. I don't know what happens when you die, but I believe we're like a leaf that just is crushed up and then we're gone. So it's over. Now, that makes life a little more difficult because you've got to try to find meaning now in in, in a life that has no grand scheme. In other words, there's no creator. Therefore, this is a giant accident. Therefore, I just landed here. So I ought to pretty much live for me. There's the bumper sticker. It's goofy, stupid, silly bumper sticker that says, practice random acts of kindness and senseless deeds of beauty. And that bumper sticker always drove me nuts because why, who wants to live a random senseless life? Be nice. Why? Well, to be nice. I mean, that really is what it says. Because people have value. Why? Well, because we say they do. But that's really that. When I talk to the high school students, I tell them, when I was a kid, at least we didn't have to fight that. Almost everybody embraced some idea that there was something. This uh, Esquire magazine had a poll in it. and here's a little alarming. I've never seen this statistic before. Uh, people, per, uh, p- people who believe in God, 76%. That number has always been around 94 95%. I've never seen that number like that. So I, I don't know that it's scientific, but it was interesting. So life just has its extinction. It's just over. Well, that's going to have a profound effect on the way you live. The second thought, and it's really catching some sort of momentum in this country, a third of the American people believe in this, uh, evolution, or not evolution, in reincarnation. Uh, Larry always had a way of saying things, and Larry would say it this way. Uh, Reincarnation means, if at first you don't succeed, die, die again. So that's kind of how that went. So, the, the thought in, 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 in reincarnation is this, you live a life, the inner life, there's some way that this life is evaluated, and then you either kind of move up the chain or down the chain, uh, achieving perfection, ultimately. I, I worked with a guy who believed in this stuff, he said, I, and I, so we're obviously discussing this, he said, I believe in, in, in just migrating through life to perfection. And I said, well, have you ever met one of these people, these perfect people? He said, No. I said, it's because they're not there. I mean, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, there are no perfect people. But, but, that's, but it's a one out of three Americans believe in this. So, you live a life, and at the end of this life, somehow you're evaluated. If you, if you lead a good life, you come back as, as a higher form. You live a, a bad life, you come back as a lower form, like a Democrat. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Just kidding. A liberal Republican. Here you go. A wildcat. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's a cheap joke. I don't care. I, I those of you from the view of a, I am a huge U of a, uh, basketball fan. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. Reincarnation. Kind of life is a mulligan. Take it over. And then there's a couple of options, and I'm not going to spend much time on them, because they get into a lot of philosophical stuff, but it's the idea of the soul and the body. And the, and the Greeks loved this, because they hated the body. They thought anything physical was bad, everything spiritual was good. So their idea of a resurrection and a resurrection body would be about as, as repugnant as you can imagine. because They believed in this dualism, and they did never would they think that freedom would be in the body coming back with the soul. And, and then there's this idea of nobody really knows or cares, and it doesn't really matter, ultimately I'll figure it out. And I think there's some of that, even people who sense that they're there. When I turned 30, I remember saying to myself, my life is half over, and I better get serious. When I turned 40, I said, my life is half over, and I better get serious. When I turned 50, I said, my life is half over. Well, I'm 53 a uh, couple of weeks ago, and I'm going, you think I'm going to make it to 106? I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. It's more than half over, but the idea is we better care. So you got all those options. So here's what Paul says. I want to talk to you about that, but before I do, I want to talk to you about the resurrection because it's important. So look at verse 13 through 19. And, and for those of you who are teachers or those of you who, who deal personally with people trying to persuade them, this is a powerful way to communicate. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13, okay, Paul does a series of questions, logical progression if there is no resurrection of the dead. So their concern was, we don't rise from the dead. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ couldn't have been raised. That is a great point. They're saying there mustn't be anything after death. And they go, wait, 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 wait wait a minute. Christ, Paul's saying Christ was a human. He was like us in every way, except what? Sin. He didn't sin. He ate, he slept, he got thirsty. He did all of these things. He was just like us. He had this human body if humans don't rise from the dead, then Christ hasn't risen from the dead. Now, almost as a parenthetical insert, he stops right there and says, think about that for a moment. I saw a book in the bookstore the other day that was one, of, it was What If, Volume 2, which would lead you to believe that there was a volume. But this What If, Volume 2, it had, uh, what if John Wilkes Booth was unsuccessful in killing Lincoln? What if D-Day failed? one of them was, what if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? That's a great question. And they weren't the first ones to think about it because Paul picks up that logic right there. He's talking to them. They're asking, what about us? What happens to us when we die? Paul says, well, first of all, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised. Look at verse 14. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. The word vain here means empty, fruitless, uh, uh, without purpose, useless. Our preaching's a waste of time. Why? Well, that was his central message. Was Christ crucified? The very first sermon that Peter ever preached. Pre, uh, Peter speaking to these uh, Jews, he says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, Just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put to death. And God raised him up again and put an end to the agony of death, since it is impossible for him to be held in death's power. His very first sermon, his very first point, deals with the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. Paul says earlier to this church in Corinth, I preach Christ and Christ crucified. I don't try to dazzle you with profound words. I don't try to move you with articulate messages or emotional persuasion. I just preach Christ and Christ crucified. And Paul's saying, our preaching is absolutely useless. You see that? If Christ didn't rise from the dead. And obviously, if our preaching is useless, your faith is useless. Let me read to you again the quote that we started with last week. Ray Stedman wrote this. Everyone here who is a Christian knows that the fundamental question upon which Christianity ultimately rests is this. Did Jesus Christ actually, literally, and physically rise from the dead? Everything hangs on that question. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, your faith is of no value because you put your faith and trust in Christ. You put your faith and trust in Christ that he died for your sins, that he was buried, and then he rose again. If he didn't rise from the dead, your faith is useless. I'll tell you another thing about that, and that's true, and this is a total side point, but I hope it's helpful, is without Christ, life takes on a darkness. Uh, when I was in college, uh, Bertrand Russell, at least where we were, was a very popular author, and he wrote a book titled Why I'm Not a Christian. He was, he was not only uh, not a Christian, he was adamant about converting others to his position or at least understanding it. In one of his writings, Russell wrote this, "'The life of man is a long march through the night, surrounded by invisible foes, tortured by weariness and pain, towards a goal that few can hope to reach and where none can tarry long. One by one, as they march, our comrades vanish from our sight, Seized by the silent orders of death. Brief and powerless is man's life. On him and all his race, the slow, sure doom falls, pitiless and dark. Blind to good and evil, recklessness of destruction, omnipotent matters roll on its relentless way. For man... Condemned today to lose his dearest friends, tomorrow himself to pass through the gates of darkness. Happy holidays. Chestnuts. Well, at least it's on. That's life without Christ. That's life without the supernatural. I've talked to you about it before. Some of you have not been here for this, but we talk about the Jefferson Bible. Thomas Jefferson, S-M-A-R-T, okay? This guy knows a lot of stuff. Very, very bright. Sharper than me, no question about it. But he didn't like that Bible, the one we, you and I teach out of. Here's what he decided is, I'm going to make my own. So he took the New Testament, he carved out all the supernatural stuff, and he had what's left, what's now known as the Jefferson Bible Bible, If I remember correctly, its original title was something like the life and teaching of Jesus, a moral and an ethic. And that's what you have. So if you take out the supernatural, what you have is the life and teaching of Jesus. The last verse of the Jefferson Bible is, they placed him in the sepulcher and rolled a stone over the opening. No hope there. So you take this resurrection away, and this whole thing begins to crumble. Our faith is absolutely useless. We ought to be, now conversely, the most hopeful people on the planet. Whatever Russell wrote there is the antithesis of our view. We ought to see hope. Look at verse 15. He says, here's something else, not just his faith and preaching in vain. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses of God because we witness against the God that raised Christ whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead aren't raised. In other words, if God didn't raise Christ from the dead, we're testifying to this. We're lying. That's what he's saying. It's not just a a misunderstanding or interpretation. He's saying this is a sham and a a facade. We're not just misinformed. We're dishonest co-conspirators leading people into lies. Again, very important. John Locke British philosopher, writes this, Our Savior's resurrection is truly of great importance in Christianity, so great that his being or not being the Messiah stands or falls with it. So you take it away, isn't that? Vain, vain teaching, vain preaching, vain faith. We're lying. Now he begins to kind of summarize it. Verse 16, If the dead aren't raised, not even Christ has been raised. It's obvious. Verse 17, for if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is worthless. Now he tells you why. You are still in your sins. Your sins of the past are with you, sins of the present are here, and you're condemned to the sins of the future. You have no remedy for your sin. Remember, Paul had given us the gospel in a nutshell. Christ died for our sin. Well, if that death did not provide satisfaction to God, let me spend a second on it, okay? God is angry. Some people, I don't like to think of God as an angry God. Well, he is. He's mad. And he's wrathful against sin and sinners. So I'm we all judge the sin, but not the sinner. I'm with you on that. The problem is this. God doesn't send sins to hell. He sends sinners to hell. You got to judge. Somehow he's judging the sinners, And there's wrath that's poured out on sin. And when Christ dies, he is, and this is an important word, and you can handle it, he is the propitiation. It means to satisfy the wrath of God. When, when Paul says Christ died for our sins, he means Christ died for our sins, thereby satisfying God's wrath toward his people. When the angel said, you'll name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin, what he means is deliver him from the wrath of God. If Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, then we're still Guilty before God for all the sins of the past, all the sins of today, and all the sins of tomorrow. There was a guy in one of the studies this week and he was saying, I my responsibility on Christmas morning is to do a devotional, not a heavy thing, but a devotional for the, the family. We've got the kids and everybody in there. If you have any suggestions? I said, Here's a great one. Do Romans six twenty-three. Okay? Romans six twenty-three says the wage of sin is death, but the free gift everybody wants to talk about gifts at christmas so let's talk about a gift but let's not talk about the gifts that you give let's talk about the gift you can receive it's the gift of jesus christ far more important for you this christmas season to receive this gift than to give another gift go ahead he says and talk about the the free gift of eternal life that's in christ jesus our lord well paul's saying if christ hasn't been raised from the dead then there is no for us any resurrection We're still guilty. We're still lost. He said, here's another point, verse 18, don't you talk about seeing these others again. For those who have fallen asleep in Christ are perishing. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then our parents, our grandparents, our friends, everybody that's dead, they're gone, got to be. And if we uh, have hoped in Christ, verse 19, in this life only, we're to be most pitied. In other words, this thing's just a sad joke. We're just going through this. This is a bad thing. So here's his summary. Then we move on. Here's the summary: it's this. Without the resurrection, our preaching's a waste of time. Your faith is useless. We're liars. We're still guilty. Those who have died are lost. Our present and our future is hopeless. And look at verse 20: But now Christ has been raised from the dead. There's the hope. Let me read this to you: this is magnificent. Talking about hope, Chuck Swindoll. Hope is a wonderful gift from God, a source of strength and courage. In the face of life's harshest trials, and he he writes this, when we're trapped in a tunnel of misery, hope points to the light at the end. When we're overworked and exhausted, hope gives us fresh energy. When we're discouraged, hope lifts our spirits. When we're tempted to quit, hope keeps us going. When we lose our way and confusion blurs the destination, hope dulls the edge of panic. When we're struggling with a crippling disease or a lingering illness, hope helps us persevere beyond the pain. When we fear the worst, hope brings reminders that God is still in control. When we must endure the consequence of bad decisions, hope fuels our recovery. When we find ourselves unemployed, hope tells us we still have a future. When we're forced to sit back and wait, hope gives us the patience to trust. When we feel rejected and abandoned, Hope reminds us we're not alone and we'll make it. When we say our final farewell to someone we love, hope in the life beyond gets us through the grief. Put simply, when life hurts and dreams fade, nothing helps like hope. It's been said that you and I can live 40 days without food and three days without water, a few minutes without air, but not one second without hope. This doesn't deny the hardship of life. This is simply Paul saying to you and me, listen, in the midst of this hardship, you have hope. Why? Because Christ rose from the dead. And because he rose, his promises are true. We can believe him. I'm watching the other night. I'm watching Donahue. Now, there's no way you can do this on a full stomach. You've got to be very careful. And you can only do it about five minutes at a time okay? And they brought him back. I don't know, you, you all don't have to, you don't watch this stuff. Well, they brought him back, and they put him in a desk, and he just simply was bombing so bad, they couldn't get him to watch. So they put him back in this new forum, format, where he's got an audience, and he's doing the old thing, and all that. The other night, the question was, basically, is Christianity the only way to heaven? Any of you see that? Anybody see that? There you go, two, three, four people. I can only watch about five minutes of it, but they had a guy on there, a Baptist preacher, I believe, and he was saying, Jesus is in the only way. Jesus is the only way. Okay? way, the truth, and life, blah, 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 blah. Son you cannot, can't, can't you see how narrow that is? Don't you see what this is doing? Can't you see this? Can't you see how harsh it is? Can't you see, Can't you see what you're doing here? 1.8 million billion Muslims in the world, and they hate us because of this? Can't you see that? It was awful. And there's this little girl, this cute little girl, stands up and says, Well, John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And, and, and Phil said, But don't you see how harsh that is? Don't, I mean I wouldn't want to live, here's what he said, you would, I would hate to live next door to somebody who believes so this. I'm thinking, man Phil, you're nuts. I'm a great neighbor. My dog doesn't bark. I clean my yard. What do you care? And there was a Jewish fellow on there who was angry. He wasn't neutral. He was angry. And he said, this is spiritual bigotry. We're the Jews at the back of the bus on the way to the lynching. All that inflammatory stuff. Nobody listens to anything anymore. Finally, one guy says, listen, listen, listen. The problem with this Christian thing is, my God, now listen to this. My God's too big for that. My God embraces all of these religions. And, and I, that was, I mean, I'm done. I got the illustration. That's all I need. I'm not going to. But, but, but what no one ever said when I was listening is, but what's true? What do you mean? Your God is so big that he embraces contradiction? He embraces one faith that says Jesus is a, is, a, is a prophet and another that says he's God and another that says he didn't exist. See, this is either true or it isn't. I don't even think, and, and I, of course I'm a little bit different, but I don't even get into a lot of debates or discussions with it. I don't spend a lot of time arguing about it. Because if you don't think this is true, then we've got to find out what is true. And weigh it against something. And I am to believe the Bible is the word of God. The inerrant word of God. Infallible. So we're going to put everything against this. What we know as Christians is this. You've got Christianity and then you've got all these other religions. Either we're right and they're wrong. Or they're right and we're wrong. Or we're all wrong. But we're not both right. You you can't say... 2 and 2 is 4, and you say 2 and 2 is 5, and we say, oh, it's Christmas, everybody's right. <laughs> you're either right or you're wrong. And that's where that discussion, and, and, and I say this to you because some of you I know from years of experience are about to embark on just trips that, that you've been dreading since you were together for the 4th of July picnic uh, back home. And, and you're in family situations, and you don't agree on this, and this has been a point of contention for you and I know how hard this is, I just encourage you to be loving and kind and gentle and, and, and to try to help people understand that what we're talking about is truth. If you can just simply see that we can't both be right, there has to be a truth. I mean, the issue at Christmas is not, was Jesus born? I think virtually everybody believed Jesus was born. It seems like it. I don't know, what, 95 percent? 99? Who knows? Some huge high percentage believe Jesus was born. That's not. The issue is, why was he born? You see why this is important? And ultimately, the real issue is, did he rise from the dead? Because if he rose from the dead, it would seem to me, that would be proof positive that all that he said is true. Seem to. So, anyway, Paul goes on, and we're giving you a satellite view of this, and we'll close. Some of you will say, how are the dead raised? Look at verse 35 is what we're doing. How are the dead raised, and what kind of body do they come back? That's, that's a great question how can the dead be raised? What kind of body are they going to have? I mean, we got some that were, were, were buried at sea. We got others that were cremated and ashes spread over the Grand Canyon, and some were eaten uh, by wild animals, and, and just some of them just died, and now there's bones, and how are they going to have bodies? What's this going to be like? And then Paul describes what, what we call, in this, in this moment, we call the rapture, and then gives us just a a flavor of what is to come. Here's what he says. Look at verse 51. Behold, I tell you a a mystery. A mystery is not like Columbo. It's something that was hidden, and now it's known. I'm going to tell you a mystery. Something that's hidden, it's revealed. Two things. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. It's an extraordinary piece of information. What he says is not every person who's ever will be born is going to die. That that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to tell us, well, you got it there in verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. It's what Paul talked about chronologically a little bit earlier in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And you just make a note of it because these passages go hand in hand. Paul writes this. He's writing to this church. He said this, We say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. So he's talking about Christ coming again. He's talking about someone will be alive. He said, listen, we're not going first. First, there will be those who have fallen asleep. In other words, those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. So those who have died, who are Christians, will rise. Got no idea what that can be like. You've seen pictures of it, or or where somebody draws a caricature, maybe even a movie, and all of a sudden you have planes without pilots and cars without drivers, and you're sitting in a room and they're gone. Won't affect a lot of church population, but uh, we'll go on and on and on here. Church will roll on. Giving will increase because we got motivation. But you see what'll happen here? A little cynical there, sorry, but but you see what we're saying? He said, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be first those who are dead, they're gone, and then those of us who are alive, boom, we're gone, and we're caught to be with the Lord. That's what he said. We're caught up in the air to be with the Lord forever. There's your future. I can't tell you what's going to happen to you today or in the next few years. I can't tell you what's going to happen in your life, but I can tell you what happens after your death. You're dead for a while, Although you're absent from the body, present with the Lord, your soul is there, but you need a body. You got an earth suit, you need a space suit, a heaven suit, and you're going to get one at this point in time when somehow, bam, this takes place, and we will be with the Lord forever. And the next verse, everybody quits. They talk about that. They miss verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. In other words, as this world gets more and more hopeless, I've talked to a bunch of people, and I've said, Christmas just doesn't seem like much this year. And it could be me. Uh, we're, move- we're-, we're getting ready to move, so we didn't put up... We put up one-, one tree. We didn't put up... Normally, put up two trees and all this stuff. Um, both of the girls are leaving Christmas Day. So we're going to have our first Christmas without the kids. But... I- and, I- and I haven't been to a mall. And I love to go to the malls. I haven't been to a mall. I'm driving main streets. I haven't seen hardly any lights. Uh, I just... I did mean, Normally, when I hear... I'll be home for Christmas. Normally, and I mean this, it just moves me. I don't know why. They go home, I think of the past. I'll hear, I'll be home for Christmas. I go, hurry up and get home. I'm sick at this. And, and I mean, I just, there's just not, and I've talked to so many people. I think there's a couple of things in play here. I, I, think, I think one of it is a lot of people are downsizing Christmas stuff. Got their brains whacked out financially, and even coming back a little, are saying, you know what, this is stupid. Why am I buying you a bunch of stuff you don't want? This is dumb. Susan and I are not exchanging gifts this year. Now, how dumb do you think I am? I'm on my way to get something because I know all this works. <laughs> but I'm not stupid, okay? I know what she's saying, just one. I can, I can handle with that. I think this whole thing with Iraq plays heavily in play. I think, I think it's a big deal because it's, if it's not that, it's a, there's just this cloud. It's just kind of hanging around. You know what? We're still happy. Why? Because I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I know that as a Christian, one day I will be caught up to be with Him forever, forever. I miss Larry Wright very, very much. I know one day I will see him forever. I know there'll be this scene where I'll be on the beach, kind of running along, and there'll be this there'll be this gal running the other way, and she'll be got you know, this long flowing hair and this beautiful body, and we'll be getting. And all of a sudden I'll say, Grandma. Says, well, I have these new bodies and everything and everything. Will... Grandma will look good. And... And all this stuff's gonna take place. That's what he says. The parish look at verse 53. We gotta go. The per- I gotta work on that because I gotta use it at church in a couple weeks, and I gotta get to get that timing down better. For this perishable, put on the imperishable, the mortal on the immortal, for this Perishable must be imperishable. This mortal, immortal. And then he gets to the punchline. Verse 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Remember why Jesus came to this earth? To put an end to the works of the devil. What are they? Death, separation, rebellion. The sting is in the law. The power, or is it, the sting is in the, uh, in, in the death. Uh, I'm sorry, let me read it again. The sting of death is in the sin. The power is in the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the truth. Now, look at the practical. We've got, let me check. Oh, we've got three minutes. Let me take them. Because this is all doctrine. But I just gave you a bunch of doctrine, 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 doctrine. Let me give you a so what to this. Because I believe in the study of doctrine. Not so you can run a category on Jeopardy, but I believe in the study of doctrine because it affects how you live. He says, now, because all this is true, verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15, therefore, because all this is true, my beloved, be steadfast, that that means settled, firmly situated, be immovable, that means totally immobile, motionless, always abounding, the word abounding means to exceed all requirements, it's overflowing, overdoing. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Here's the practical ramifications of this. You and I stand firm. We don't waver. Here's the truth. And we believe it. And it changes our whole lives. I have man after man after man who I deal with, who will tell me as a non-Christian I had all the stuff that Esquire magazine would say would make me happy. As a Christian, I still have some of that stuff. I was miserable then, and I'm absolutely ecstatic now. Why? If we believe this to be true, then what we've got to understand is life is not about stuff. That's why you're miserable. That's why, unless you find meaning in Christ, and then in your work, you're just going to be frustrated. It just goes on and on and on with no ending at all it's accumulation for accumulation's sake this this is a great time of the year because it's a time when things wind down some of you just had terrific years you blew quota away by 137 percent you knocked them dead and they're going to bring it in on january 2nd and say team i always call you team when they want something team We're all at zero today. I find those very discouraging moments. But it's true. Why? Because we're just evaluating it by this and by this and by this and by this and by this. Where do you get relief from this? You get relief. This is going to, if you're a manager here, this might not be the speech to give to your company when you go back. But you get relief by not living and dying with those results. Because ultimately, they don't matter. Do they matter? Yes, they matter. Are we saying we shouldn't be good employees? You ought to be the best employee. But that's not where you find meaning. That's not where you find purpose. And those are not the things that are ultimately going to satisfy you. I watched a show the other night on Hugh Hefner. And... And I'm watching Hef when he got married. You know, this was the thing and settled down. And now this is a—I don't know how he does this, but she lives next door with the kids, and he's divorced. But they have great relationships. But now he dates. Now you all've seen it. Now he walks around with like five of these blondes at a time. And he's like been, in his term, reborn in this sense. That that all of a sudden the whole of industry is welcome him him back. He is living the playboy life. And I'm thinking, you know what? Because you can kind of see that he's, you know, Hugh Hefner, okay? <laughs> You're going to lose the game, my friend. I watched, now give me one more minute. I watched, there can't be three people in here who watched. I watched Strom Thurmond's birthday party when it was going on. You all have heard about it since, but I watched it. And here was a podium and it said, Happy Birthday, Strom. Strom Thurmond was sitting here like this. In a wheelchair. And when everybody clapped, he cut a clap. Now, Strom did not look bad for a hundred. He looked bad, though. (laughs) And I don't want to miss that. He didn't look bad for a hundred. He looked better than a corpse, but not much. (laughs) And we're really excited. Yeah, he did look like a mummy. He, and we're really excited he got to be 100. And I mean, this is not a shot at Strom. My point is, that's where we're all headed. Very few of us are going to get to that point. The point is, we're losing this physical game. You can't win this physical game. So if you invest your time, energy, effort, and money in the stuff that's fading away, you're going to be miserable. You just are. And I'm talking to you now as a Christian. As a Christian, you're still going through this giant circle. thinking you're going to find happiness there. We were talking about it when we were talking about it, just kidding about it before I came up. Jackpots at two hundred and fifteen million dollars, and I'm thinking that solves a lot of problems. And I think it would for me because I think I could handle it. But for most of you, I don't think it could. I think you you get the point. Jesus came to put an end to the agony of death, not physical death, spiritual death. We're not to wonder. This stuff. I know that what I'm telling you is true because the Bible says it. I know that book is true. I hope you have a great Christmas. It's going to be a great Christmas if you take these truths and you understand them and you embrace them. And and for those of you who are going to, to be with family and you are in that very difficult spot of sharing that truth, I really do pray that God gives you wisdom and, and patience and tenderness and love. For those of you who are not Christians, I hope, uh, and maybe you've been with us all year, I uh, thank you for being here. We're glad you're here. It's great to have you with us. But I'm just telling you if you don't get all this stuff if you don't embrace Christ as Lord and Savior your life will never be what it could be here and when you die you spend eternity in a place called hell paying for your sins for the rest of your life and I don't care how big a stack that 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 sins pile is you come to Christ in repentance and faith it's forgiven today you cannot out sin God's grace and mercy father thank you for this truth let us live this truth God thank you for these people that are so faithful. What an absolute treat it is for me to see their faithfulness. Thank you that they're here. God, give us a good rest over the holidays. Let us come back refreshed and ready to tackle the new year. God, we praise you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.